battles in the Bible weren't emotional or mental. They were physical. Our worship songs today are a far cry from this because we live in such a prosperous nation because of God and Christianity. But when everyone in the Bible prayed for victory, they weren't asking for emotional peace. Everybody knows what they were asking for. They were asking for God to strengthen their hand in battle against their enemies because it was kill or be killed back then. This is abhorrent to modern man because we think we're so invincible and so moral without God that we don't need him anymore. So amazing are we that we can simply flick our wrist and decry evil and it will disappear. Meanwhile, in the real world, morally courageous people know that they must do what is necessary to stop evil from happening. And that means using force when necessary. A discerning Christian can never encourage vengeance, genocide, or war for war's sake. However, the Bible makes room for just war for this very reason. This is where some haters are going to argue this is the problem with religion. It creates wars and then justifies those wars. But there is no rational atheist on the planet who would say that war is unnecessary under any circumstance. That would be perfectly stupid. We all must agree that we need a barometer, a means by which we can judge what a just war actually looks like. And in a fallen world, that's not always very easy. But that brings us back to praying for the peace of Jerusalem, which means we must pray for literal peace. And that means that justice must be ensured in order for prolonged peace to actually take place. A ceasefire may stop violence in the short term, but it doesn't in the long term. Every person calling for a ceasefire has to know this intuitively if they think about it. And what's interesting is the no justice, no peace people see clearly enough to know that living under the threat of constant injustice is no way to live. It's no place to raise a family. War is a messy business, to be sure, but it demands more than platitudes and moral equivalents. It demands swift action to ensure evil is dealt with. And this is what we see from God in the Bible. No, we see nothing like the homicidal maniac that Richard Dawkins talks about, but we do see a God that understands that the lowest level of morality is merely saying, oh, that's evil, that's bad. The God of the Bible understands that true morality demands that we do more than say that's bad, but that we actually be willing to pay the prices that is necessary to do what must be done about evil. This is why only morally benighted Christians argue that the Old Testament has been overturned by the, the New Testament. And thank God for that Jesus who made his cranky father calm down. Really? So thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal has been totally done away with. How about Jesus saying, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it? No. How about this? The New Testament doesn't give us an argument for self-defense. Then does the New Testament endorse rape and murder? Just let them rape your wife and then turn the other cheek and pray that God will convict them of their sins. Sorry, no. No sane person thinks this is true. That's why when a Christian calls for the extermination of Hamas, he is not a Zionist or a Jew lover. He's just a rational man doing the best he can to love people in a fallen world. About the only way that you can disagree with this is that you just have a blind hatred for Christians or religion or Maybe both. You also may be taking for granted how the beliefs found in scripture have shaped the Bible and turned the vast majority of Americans into well-meaning people, even if they're not Christians. It's undeniable that Christianity has been woven into the fabric of the West and it impacts the way we think about things, even in a subconscious way. That's why every person right now who's calling for a ceasefire thinks that Hamas would be just like them in the instance of a ceasefire, but they wouldn't. Quote, the Islamic resistance movement is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. 
That's Article 6. And in the preamble, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. Those clauses are from the Hamas Charter. It's a clear picture as to what is going on in Gaza so that we can understand what must be done to stop them. You can choose to see it and be honest if you want, or you can choose to reject common sense. The choice is yours. But just understand how you choose says a lot about you. And it may have deadly implications for others. And we'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, I know some of you are thinking already about what you're going to eat for Thanksgiving and about what you're going to buy for Black Friday. And I have just a humble, mild suggestion here. If you go to the description of this podcast or the link on the screen right now, you'll find our Herbal Alchemy store where you can find some great all-natural health and beauty products. Your wife will love it. But don't worry, men. There's stuff for you, too. There's Man Face, which is aftershave. And then there's Man Soap, which will help you not smell like a total animal, which your wife will definitely appreciate. And for a limited time, everything in our herbal alchemy store is 30% off. So again, all you have to do is go to that link and you can buy a cart full of stuff. And when you do so, some of the proceeds from that purchase will go to benefit everything we're doing here at IndieThinker. So be a blessing to your family and give them non-woke herbal alchemy products that also benefit this great show. Happy almost Thanksgiving, everybody. I know you guys are getting ready for the big day on Thursday, and I just want to take a moment to say uh, I wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. I'm very thankful to my Lord and Savior, my family, who is just amazing, and then also you out there, those of you who take the time to subscribe, certainly those who have given financially to IndieThinker, and even those of you who are acrimonious sons of guns down in the comment section, um, and those who comment really great things and are always right when they do so. Uh, Regardless of how you've interacted, with the channel this past year. I just want to say thank you very much for being a part of the Indie Thinker story. I certainly take um, to, to heart and to mind some of the things that, that I have the opportunity to discuss with you guys and even those direct messages that are sent my way from people who have been really touched and impacted from the show. Those things really just make what I do worthwhile and I'm so thankful for it. And Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays because it's in service to one of the greatest virtues, gratitude, that, that we have. And whenever we can celebrate that, I'm all for it. I mean, we have so many holidays. Um, in in America anymore, and maybe where you live too, if you're watching this in some place other than America, uh, we have so many ridiculous holidays that are just celebrations of of self that it's really great to have a celebration of one of the greatest virtues uh, of all time. So I really like this holiday. Obviously Christmas is, well, maybe not obviously, but anyway, Christmas is my favorite holiday, but Thanksgiving is a great holiday. And listen, I know people are just gonna shove food down their throat, but hopefully you can take some time to find ways that you are thankful and express gratitude. And I wanna start the show with a story that maybe will help you do that. You can rehearse this around the Thanksgiving table before you give thanks um, and, and start your meal. But also it will kind of serve as a backdrop for everything I want to talk about on the show today. So I want to share the story of Squanto with you as briefly as I can, because his bravery and courage, I think, 
is something that needs to be modeled and something we don't see very much today. So suffice to say, Squanto was a Native American who was taken by Spain and, um, and made a slave. And some monks came and purchased Squanto. And I know some of you haters out there of Christianity are thinking, yeah, they purchased him to do their bidding. But they purchased him so that they could set him free, gave him food, nursed him back to health, introduced him to scripture. And Squanto eventually became a Christian as a result of not only their loving witness to him by being willing to spend their money for a complete stranger to rescue him out of slavery, but also their introduction of the Gospels to Squanto really touched his life in such a way that he wanted to, after learning English and learning about uh, God and learning about other trades and stuff, he wanted to go back and take that knowledge to his family. And so he booked passage back to his home country um, in America. And then when he got there, uh, found that most of his family had had been killed. Um, now, Squanto was also there when the very first pilgrims arrived. Now, he came to the shore when those guys were there, probably not the first day, but needless to say, they, they encountered each other. And um, Squanto spoke English, and the pilgrims were pleasantly surprised by this. Now, the pilgrims at this time were going through a very, very difficult time um, of, of famine and difficulty of gathering food. Uh, the harsh winter conditions where they were in Plymouth were, were were really starting to take their toll and illness was killing many of those early settlers and Squanto came and showed them how to, how to live off of the land successfully. And he really saved tons and tons of lives. And he decided to live among them so that he could help them. You know, he had been so blessed by, by, by others, he wanted to give back to these programs and help them survive. And so that's where the very first Thanksgiving comes along. And now after a very difficult time, the programs are finally living in a, a moment of excess and Native Americans and these pilgrims come together and they celebrate this meal where they not only celebrate the fact that now they have abundance, but also the God who provided that abundance for them by sending, uh, by sending help in the form of Squanto. Now, the reason I share that story with you is that the kind of courage and the kind of hard work that we see in this story, and even the kind of benevolence that we see in the story is, is often very rare in our society today. And that brings us to our very first story about none other than Snoop Dogg. I know, Thanksgiving and Snoop Dogg, two things that couldn't go better together harmonious. It's like Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart. The two things are just peas in a pod. Needless to say, strength got us here, but it is going to be the weakness that we see, especially in modern man, that is going to destroy our society if we are not careful. So I want to share with you about what just recently happened with Snoop Dogg. Now, before I do that, I have to ask this question. Do you really know why Snoop Dogg is an icon? I mean, can you name any of his songs? Even I, who grew up with Snoop Dogg when he was coming into the spotlight, only knows him as a guy who sang along with Dr. Dre, but I can't really name a single Snoop Dogg song. That's his song. I can't. Maybe... Maybe you can't, um, but I mean, I roll pretty hard and I can't name a single one of them. So why is Snoop Dogg so famous in the culture? Well, of course he's famous because he smokes a ton of pot. I mean, that's one heck of a way to become an icon, but this tells us the kind of society that we're making today and the kind of men that we're making today. But maybe all of that is about to change because Snoop Dogg just recently came out and said that he is quitting the smoke. No more of the chronic, no more of the Mary Jane. He is done with pot. He said this, after much consideration and conversation with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. Please respect my privacy at this time. 
Now, far be it from me to disrespect Snoop here, but I cannot respect his privacy at this time because this is a time for celebration, Snoop. Isn't it praiseworthy that brownies will now be in much higher supply? Think about it. All the things that Snoop will be able to do now that he's no longer just sitting on his couch, floating on the success he earned in the early 90s. I mean, think of the way he helped free up the supply of chronic for cancer patients. And think of how he serviced fellow motorists simply trying to get their kids from school to home. Now they don't have to be assaulted with disgusting secondhand smoke while they're in traffic. Now those kids sitting in the car seats can reclaim their ambition and make something of themselves in the future. And think of all the Funyuns that will find their way back to the store shelves. I mean, really, we owe Snoop a lot of gratitude. So it's Thanksgiving and we should say thank you to Snoop. Somehow I suspect that Snoop is not really willing to part with the only thing that has made him noteworthy. His final line about respecting his privacy during this time seems to tip us off that he's not really that serious. But the real problem is that this man was celebrated in the first place because he smokes pot. And if he really does quit, you know, color me skeptical, but I'm not sure that our society is gonna celebrate him for actually getting rid of his dependence upon this substance. So let's be serious for a moment. We all know what kind of society we live in at this point. It is not one that praises virtue. It's not one that praises responsibility. It's awesome to be a pothead and it's a joke to our society to actually discover self-control. God is bad and evil is good up is down and debauchery should be celebrated on all days ending in Y. We've created a society that should be ashamed to come out of the closet with some of their behavior, but are instead applauded for it when they do. And they're encouraged to reject their faith and grab a hold of whatever pleasure they can find. When one homosexual comes out, an angel gets its wings. But when a Christian missionary is martyred for their faith, well, while helping sick children get water, well, he probably had it coming. We've created a society that canonizes people like George Floyd. A guy that's got so much fentanyl in his system that you could kill a horse is celebrated throughout the city streets in 2020 and beyond and still thought of as a martyr for the cause. What cause? Who knows? We had monuments to actually great men torn down and monuments of George Floyd put in its place. And what did George Floyd accomplish with his life that is so noteworthy and so praiseworthy? Well. He simply died, yes, in a tragic way, but died, most likely of an overdose, and died while trying to steal from a store. We've got people on OnlyFans who are considered inspirational because they're willing to take their clothes off before desperate men who will never meet these women in real life. And then, most recently, we even have Gen Z coming out to do the most brilliant thing that they have done since they've been around and that is praising Osama bin Laden for his fight against America. That's right. Just recently on TikTok, some videos were released of young Americans praising Osama bin Laden's letter to America, where he gives justification for why he flew two planes into the Twin Towers and also into the Pentagon. And these morally benighted people think that Osama bin Laden now is a thought leader for Americans that should be praised for some reason. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is that Andrew Fletcher has a great quote, and I think it's actually true. He said, let me make the songs of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. The whole point here is that culture is powerful. You guys all know the quote that 
culture is upstream from politics. It impacts our politics. So the things we celebrate in culture actually matter. And the things we celebrate are almost always weakness. We find it harder and harder to truly find great strength to be a virtue in society today. Rather than celebrating good fathers and godly men, women celebrate being girl bosses and celebrate being independent women who don't need a man to raise a family. But of course, we know that's not true. We celebrate very often the wrong things. And that's why I'm thankful for this time of the year when we kind of move our focus toward Thanksgiving and move our focus toward Christmas where we actually start to celebrate things. And let me just ask you, celebrate things that deserve to be celebrated. Let me just ask you a question. Don't you feel good in your soul, in your heart around this time of year? Doesn't your heart start to kind of, yes, become a little bit nostalgic about these celebrations of Thanksgiving and Christmas when you were a kid? But more importantly, doesn't the the nature of these holidays strike you in a way that these other secular holidays don't? There's a reason for that. Now, maybe you've seared your conscience to the point so much where it no longer does anymore, but I'd be willing to bet. Even if you're not a Christian, you would say there's something special about Thanksgiving. There's something special about Christmas that other holidays really don't possess. And if that's true, then maybe we need to be really, really careful about the things that we celebrate and honor as a culture because it will impact what the future looks like. Now, I want to talk about that also in our next story because a lot of people online have really... uh, taken to a story that I think deserves our attention. And that is that Ben Shapiro of the Daily Wire and Candace Owens also of the Daily Wire, but you wouldn't know it by the way these two are fighting with each other, have been fighting online and have been exchanging words. Now, I first heard about this when uh, Tucker Carlson had Candace Owens on his show and they talked about it. And there they showed a clip of Ben Shapiro, I think in a clip where he didn't know he was being filmed, uh, a clip of him dissing Candace Owens. So I wanna show that same clip to you now so that you will have a little bit of the context. Yes, uh, the question was about All right, so I know that that's kind of hard to hear, but essentially Ben Shapiro called his co-worker unsophisticated and despicable um, uh, and disgraceful is, is what he said. So suffice to say, I, I understand that Ben is very emotionally involved and should be, right, for obvious reasons about what's going on in Israel and what's taking place in Gaza. And Candace has had some things to say about that. Now, I think he's responding generally to things that Candace has said on her show, but I also think he's responding specifically to what she has said on X. And I want to show that to you now on the screen. So this is what she said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, in response to that, Ben Shapiro said this to Candace. Candace, if you feel that, 
taking money from the Daily Wire somehow comes between you and God, by all means, quit. So I think the reason Ben got so mad about this, and there's some insinuation here, but I'm going to be honest with you and say that you can make up your own mind about what you think is really going on or what Candace meant by her original ex comments. But I'm going to tell you, here's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like when she says, blessed are the peacemakers, what she means is that if you're calling for war in Gaza, that you don't want peace you really just want war and you're kind of a warmonger and um, there may be a reason that you want that war. And then she goes on at the end of her ex post to say, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, Ben seems to think she's saying that she's not gonna be a part of the Daily Wire as long as the Daily Wire, or she has a problem with the Daily Wire and those on the Daily Wire, Ben in particular, um, kind of endorsing what's going on in, in Gaza and endorsing Israel's fight back against Palestine. Um, and she seems to be saying that, and this is kind of like the fair way of looking at it. I'll tell you what I actually think she may be saying. Uh, the fair way of looking at it is that she is saying um, that I find it uh, convicting to my conscience to take money from a company where the people that are leading this company, Ben in particular, are kind of calling for war like this because I'm pregnant right now and there's babies right now in Gaza who are being killed, right? That's a fair enough statement, I would say, but it's a little morally blind, uh, in my opinion, simply because there's a difference in kind between what Hamas did to Israel and what Israel now is trying to do in response to Hamas. Suffice to say, I, that seems to be the fairest implication I can make with what Candace actually means by her post. Now, there might be another kind of more villainous take on this, and that is, blessed are the peacemakers. So, Ben, you're not a peacemaker, and the only reason you're not is that there's Jewish money involved, and you're taking, you're Jewish, but also you're taking money from Jews who support your show and want you to support this war. Now, I think that is a very underhanded kind of ad hominem attack to add to the things that Candace has already said on her show that don't really support Israel. But here's the issue is that Candace doesn't have to support Israel. I think the fact that they're having a public disagreement is not really a sign of weakness. It means that they're open to discourse. And I love the fact that Daily Wire really doesn't censor its hosts. I mean, it lets a Matt Walsh go off the handle on all sorts of things. Um, and then Candace as well, and Ben as well. However, here's where I do think that there is some need for some clarity on this issue. So I believe that they should have disagreement in the open almost always. However, I think they should be fighting with each other behind closed doors. So in other words, I think they should disagree publicly but they should fight amongst themselves privately. Now, before I get into where I think that dichotomy comes from and why I think that's a good paradigm, let me just say that right there you see a difference between disagreement and division, right? Christians get this wrong all the time. Division is far different than disagreement. Disagreement is healthy, it's good, it's the only way to truly get beyond the personal and get to the rational. Now, when you get divisive, it is because you're almost always being personal. You're making it about the person and you're attacking their character. You're attacking who they are. You're attacking um, the, their, their belief system, but, but you're not actually making a rational argument. That's when division typically gets sown, but disagreement is, is far different. And, I, and Christians need to get a bigger appetite for disagreement so that we can hash out issues in the most healthy manner possibly. Disagreement is truly good. But, there, but division comes in when you fight each other 
throw out ad hominem attacks at each other, and you do so without speaking to each other directly. Now, if we didn't live in a society with moral values, then why would we need to do this? So let's just say for a moment that we kind of want to push aside the fact that Christianity is a prominent force in the West and dictates much of our civil discourse on a regular basis on a good day, um, or should, I would argue. Uh, let's just push aside um, any objective moral values, and let's say the moral relativist, the postmodernist, the neo-Marxist is right. Well, then you do whatever you want to. You can disagree. You can attack somebody. You can call them names. You can do whatever you want to. It's only when you um, insert a Christian worldview that then you start having some ethics in the way that you disagree with each other. Now, by the way, this is where I think Ben is wrong, and Candace has handled herself a little bit better than Ben in this situation, and I would almost bet that after the break of Thanksgiving, or maybe even before Ben will come out and say something about this, or maybe just personally talk to Candace, maybe even apologize, um, because I think he will realize that he made a misstep here. But perhaps the reason he made a misstep here is because Ben consistently makes a misstep in this one area. He makes a misstep when it comes to Jesus. Uh, ben has gone on record being a brilliant man, and I almost hate to say this because I agree with him so much. But one of the glaring blind spots for Ben Shapiro is his Judaism and how it has kept him from really entering into and engaging the subject as to whether or not Jesus is who he says he is, whether or not he is the Jewish Messiah. He's always kind of leaned back on his religion and just said, well, we don't believe that. Well, have you investigated the claims of the Messiah? Have you investigated the claims of the Old Testament and how they, they intersect with the New Testament? Have you investigated the claim, as Jordan Peterson says, that the Bible is the most hyperlinked text in, in the history of the world? So the New Testament refers to the Old, and the Old even um, alludes to the New. And, and so investigating that, I think, would be very beneficial for Ben. And if he did, he might find a very, I, I think, beneficial way to handle personal disagreements. Because I think his blind spot for Jesus has also blinded him in ways where he needs to handle his personal disagreements in a very different way. Because Jesus actually gives us a model for what these kind of personal disagreements look like. And he says this, if your brother has an offense against you, or has done something to offend you, then you go to that individual privately and you talk about that with them directly. And as of yet, we don't really see that that has happened, at least as of the filming of this, of this podcast. Now, perhaps if Ben didn't have a blind spot where Jesus is concerned, he could let the teachings of Christ kind of enter into his psyche a little bit more and he would have handled himself a little bit better here. But as a founder of The Daily Wire as not necessarily Candace's boss, but as certainly somebody who is a, a pivotal figure in that business, the most pivotal figure in that business, I would say that it really, really matters how Ben handles this. I would say it matters for the sake of the conservative movement because we have been great at destroying each other rather than working together. And, and it would be great if these guys could show us what it looks like to really disagree and work together in a little bit healthier manner. But more importantly, um, I can't help but, and maybe this is a little bit sympathetic, but I can't help but also say that it would also be better for their personal relationship and the way Ben and Candace get together um, and, and the way Ben and Candace relate to each other. And then I would also argue too, the Jesus quotient here, that if Ben really took Jesus's words seriously, it might change the way that he handles these kind of things in the future. That being said, let's go to our final segment, Bible study with Democrats. 
O God of pronouns. By now you're probably aware of the fact that there have been a fair amount of viral videos that have taken off in the last week praising Osama bin Laden as some kind of war hero for what he did on 9-11. Some TikTokers have been taking to TikTok to share that they just recently read his letter to America and as a result of that it has been, it has been eye-opening to them. Now, the reason I bring this up in uh, the context of Bible study with Democrats is right here, I'll show you one young lady who praises Osama bin Laden and likens it unto her deconstructive Christian journey. Check it out. This morning, I read Letter to America, which is Osama bin Laden's letter to America explaining why he attacked Americans. And I am ashamed to say that I not only have never read this letter, but I didn't even know this letter existed. It's wild and everyone should read it. If you haven't read it yet, read it. However, be forewarned that this has left me very disillusioned and I feel the same exact way I felt when I was deconstructing Christianity. I feel uh, a little bit just confused like I have entered into another timeline. What is this? And yeah, so go read it. Yes, oh yes, deconstructors are not just stupid when it comes to Christianity, they are also equally dumb when it comes to foreign policy and it comes to war and it comes to terrorism because now these Gen Zers are praising terrorists like Osama bin Laden. Now this young girl is not the only one, she's just the only one who said that in the same way she deconstructed her faith, she's now re-envisioning what America looks like in the future. And so um, obviously, the real problem with the deconstruction movement is that it has always wanted to destroy the church rather than to want to critically analyze church, as I've always argued on this show. If deconstruction was really about critical thinking, then I'm all for it, but it's not. It's about deconstruction. The name is actually very fitting for what deconstructionists want to do. They want to kind of cherry pick the Bible and then grab the things they like, get rid of the things they don't, and then make sure they can be gay affirming at the end of the day, because that's really what most of them are after. The to say uh, the deconstruction movement is after deconstruction. But the deconstruction movement isn't only about deconstructing the church, it's also about deconstructing America. And it is originally about that in particular. The deconstruction movement has a Marxist history that is simply interested in revolution rather than interested in truth. And that's why when it sneaks its way into the Christian church, it's a huge problem. But it's also a problem when it sneaks its way into America, because if these people have their way, then what we've built here, whatever is good about it, uh, will cease to exist. And you can trust that deconstructionists don't have anything good to put in the place of America if they get their way. And we have a reason to believe that they just might. Now, I wanna show you a parody that has all of a sudden become a reality uh, in the present as we see these kind of morally benighted people post these TikTok posts in praise of Osama bin Laden. So here is an old SNL clip that is probably gonna get this clip demonetized, but is worth it to show each and every one of you. But here's an old SNL clip of a father sending his daughter away, what seems to be to college, but is obviously gonna send her to someplace uh, very, very different. Check it out. Well, this is it. You need any help with your bag? No, that's all right, I got it. 
How about some walking around money? Dad, it's okay. Okay, just uh, make sure to... Call you when I get there? I know. Yeah. You know, um... You could stay home, uh, do another year of high school if you want. <laughs> Very funny, Dad. <laughs> well, I'll see you at Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'll see you. Hey, Dad. Yeah. Thanks. You got it, kiddo. <sighs> Looks like your ride's here. You be careful, okay? Dad, it's just ISIS. Take it from here, Dad. A rare moment where SNL is not only prophetic, but also incredibly funny. Because I just love that part where the guy says, death to America, to the father, when he says, protect the girl. Um, but, but this parody is no longer parody. It's like the Babylon Bee prophetically naming and claiming about 100 things that eventually happened after their little satire uh, came into fruition. Um, Kamala Harris needing a crisis dinner with Hillary Clinton's people to become more likable, one of them. But suffice to say, we need to pay attention when the ridiculous becomes reality, because it may be a joke today, but it could become reality tomorrow, as this clip from SNL has become. The problem is, is that prosperity fueled by capitalism and Christianity being a great boon for the American West has bubble wrapped the vast majority of young people and apparently their minds and has kept them secure and immune to some of the problems of the rest of the world in such a way that it has made them incredibly naive to what the real world is actually like. My hope with what's happening in, in Gaza right now and what happened with Israel will help wake people up to the fact that war is a necessary evil in a world where fallen people exist. No amount of AI, no amount of technology is going to be the cure for human nature because the one thing that has been consistent throughout human history is human nature. And, and we see it here with this letter to America craze. So all I can say is this is that we need to find a way to stop the joke from becoming a reality by fighting back as much as we possibly can. And this is where I wanna encourage Christians to become incredibly aggressive. And by that, I just mean incredibly assertive in their worldview when it comes to social media. You, you may say to yourself, well, listen, what can little old me do? Well, what can little old that person that you just saw on TikTok do except encourage a whole trend praising Osama bin Laden to take place? It's time we started becoming digital missionaries and realizing that we have a place in this world to fight back against the narrative before it becomes a reality. And it will if we remain silent. So I think we need to start leveraging whatever influence we possibly can to really start pushing against these narratives. Now, 
maybe we need to do it like the Babylon Bee does. And I think the Babylon Bee has a, an obviously prominent place in society, but also an important place in the church. Martin Luther said this. He said, the best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to texts of scripture, is to jeer and flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. Now, on the other end, who would have a guy who would have been somewhat opposed, kind of like Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, uh, to Martin Luther, uh, Sir Thomas More said this, the devil, that proud spirit, cannot endure to be mocked. We talked about mockery on the show before, but the reason mockery within the Christian framework is important is that it shows that, that what is happening is ridiculous. And if we, can pin, if we can point out the ridiculousness of society, it's hoped that we can, that we can stop it before it becomes the reality. Perhaps mockery signals that we understand that the battle can be won and that when we act worn out with it or depressed or we wave our hand away at culture wars, what we're actually communicating subtly is that we know that we're losing and we don't think we can win. So don't take the road of defeat. Take the road of the happy warrior. Use mockery. Use whatever you need to to stand for the truth. But by God, do not be silent because it is a radical act of benevolence to tell the truth in a world of lies. And I pray that you will have the courage to do it, because if you do, we might subtly find that our culture stops celebrating weakness and starts celebrating strength and truth. And as you do it this Thanksgiving, I pray that you'll do it not only liking, sharing, and subscribing, but also going with God. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.